Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hmm. It seems almost incredible that one could murder so quickly and so smoothly. When the iron's hot And for my unemployment Lines for my bullets When I fire shots That's the boss word In the tree with my moss bird Teflon vest Camouflage suit Made of moss and birds You had a loss for words Jerk look dumb as hell It's mathematics talk And numbers tell So save your ticket stub Cause I will click the snub Strap you in a fucking crash test Dummy collision truck the Granddaddy grenade man spit On some caveman shit My ape hand hit Your nose and left your Ray-Ban split A 38 I stayed with But that's just the backup plan in case the motherfucking Mac 11's in. Matter of fact, I'm causing cataracts with just one glance. Take one stance, my trigger finger through the Humpty Hump dance. Uh, y'all ain't putting heat down. Nah. Y'all put the seat down. Sit down and take a piss. Flagrant trick, use a blade, bitch. Yo, 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 check it out, y'all. Welcome back to the House List Podcast. My name is Peter Agostin. How are you? Welcome all to yet another great, rare conversation. I think this might be a first for our guest, long-form uh, sit-down conversation. The one, the only self-titled is on the show, recorded here in L.A. while he was on tour with Apathy. Um, as you guys know, self-titled and apathy been releasing uh, projects together for years now, uh, carved uh, their own lane for themselves, uh, sort of as a byproduct out of the super group uh, demigods. But yeah, self and I have known each other for actually for a very long time and sort of came up the ranks at the same time and sort of in a similar way. And uh, it was a it was a trip to see him again, because what I realized when we first started the conversation was. I hadn't seen him. The last place I saw him uh, was uh, in the Czech Republic in Prague for what I think was the very first hip hop camp. And for hardcore hip hop fans, and especially people in Europe and a lot of touring artists know that it's like a super popular hip hop music festival that happens um, in outside of Prague in the countryside. And a lot of like uh, American hip hop artists uh, perform there. 
and uh, there was a guy. I think they've had a changing of the ranks, but there was a dude that was the booker there. His name was Afro, and uh, A F F R O, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not looking at anything, any notes or anything. And he brought me out for my Culturama music video festival, which I was touring, which was all um, DIY, uh, self-produced or independently produced music videos, hip-hop music videos that I um, strung together in a festival format. And I would go and tour places with it. And uh, Self was performing at the same festival, 7L and Esoteric and Lewis Logic, who was uh, a previous guest of our show. You should check that episode out. It's a great one. And uh, so that was like the last time I saw him, which is a trip. But I've been following his music for a long time. And, and we actually, you know, were kind of uh, linked uh, through the tape trading days. That's like kind of a, has been a running theme in some of my shows as well from like the mid-90s. And I even have his very first demo tape before he was known as self-titled. And uh, he probably made when he was, you know, in high school. So we go way back. It was a great conversation. Um, I'm glad we did it because uh, he was on the road, caught him. He had, a, he had like a little bit of a off day here in L.A. So we got into it um, and it was dope. Now I want to let you know a little bit something about the show, too. Now you can kind of find this in a lot of different places. But the uh, best like portal for the show um, for the house list. So to enable you to go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify is you go to uh, my page on megaphone.fm. So it's the house list uh, is hosted uh, by way of this great company called Pantheon, uh, who also help with the editing and the and the kind of mixing and mastering of the show. Shout out to Jerry, who's who's doing that for this. But if you go to um, the link um, megaphone.fm and the channel is the house list, just listed as the house list. Check it out there because then it shoots to a bunch of different sites, but you can get it through the Spotify link there and so forth, um, as well as Stitcher, Google Play, the usual suspects. And I was, so I also I was out last night. It was Peanut Butter Wolf's birthday. I was at his uh, little party here in L.A. Uh, met up with my man, Dame Funk, who uh, also been on the show, uh, but who I've worked with for many years. We've run a record label together called Glide Zone. It was good because I ran into... Uh, a few different people that I've been talking to for a while about being on the show, being on the house list. And I'm, I don't go out that much like that. So it was nice to be social, a little social and um, connect with people and uh, met some great people. Shout out to Danny Holloway. J-Rock was there. Um, Matthew David, No Can Do. All these guys will hopefully be people that will eventually be on the show as well. So um Anyway, I just want to give you guys a little update on the show. Of course, uh, feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I still urge you to uh, share this with people if you think they've never heard the show before or if they're looking for a podcast, especially one that's like this or any hip-hop heads. As you know, the lion's share of the shows are are, are pretty hardcore on the hip-hop side. This is no exception. Uh, self-titled is definitely on some hardcore hip-hop shit. And what I've, what I've liked about... Um, uh, doing this episode is going back through his discography and really been going and digging into the, the album he did with Buck Wild. I don't know if you guys caught that. It was like, uh, now it looks like it was came out in 2010. So if you slept on that, because uh, there's not a lot of basically solo self-titled al- projects or albums. 
and it's great. I love the material with him and Apathy are, are is dope. It's like the dynamic there is is fully spot on. Uh, this record is like kind of his his sort of solo project in a way, produced entirely by you know Buck Wild and Ditc uh, with um, basically music from the '90s that was never used. And it's done in a super like tasteful way. It doesn't seem like contrived or slapdash or anything like that. 1990 now. So peep that out. I just wanted to put that out there. Like if you haven't ever listened to that album, some great guests on it. But really just great charisma between the producer and, and the rapper. And, and the way they kind of hooked up all the beats too. Because I had to polish them up a little bit too to, to get them ready. So yeah, peep that out. And let's just get into this conversation. Me, self-titled, The Houseless Podcast. Check it out. Coming out of the sort of um, school that we came out of, at least as far as how, I, like the you know way people exchanged um, music and information. But I think uh, we can kind of start it up. But I think the I was trying to remember because I think we've only really met in person a couple of times. But the last time I think I saw you was in Prague. Like in oh, 2002 yeah. or something. Yeah, hip-hop uh, camp. Hip-hop camp, yeah. 2004, probably. Okay, yeah. Which I think was maybe the first one they ever did or the second one. It was really early It was on. early. There's probably only been maybe one or two before that. It was early enough where I think it was like you and Louis Logic were like the headliners. Yeah, know? I think it was... Uh, or 7L and Esoteric as well. Right, yeah. It was, yeah, me and Louis Logic with 7L and Esoteric and right. Apathy was supposed to be there too. Right, and right. couldn't make the flight. Something happened, but... Right, right, right. Yeah, because I remember... Actually, that was one of the reasons, now that I think about it, him and Louis Logic had issues and they just patched it up actually. At really? The, yeah, like App made a post about it and everything and they got past it. It was some BS, but I think it had something to do with that show. Oh, like wow. him, him, like, no not way. make... He didn't... Or I don't know what happened, man. Actually, you know what? Lewis Logic, man, I got this all confused. Lewis Logic was at. He definitely performed. I have some photos from back in the day. They, I don't have them with no, me. No, no, this is what it was. Okay, so it was Hip Hop Camp. It was 2004. It was that. What happened was is that Lou missed a flight, his first flight. Right. App right. had decided not to go or whatever over this or whatever. He missed his flight. And then somehow it got messed up. But then when he when we got to get paid for the show, right. because they had to buy another plane ticket, oh, to they took out. it out of all. Right. Like, so I didn't really get paid. Like so, but I didn't. I understood like it was all good. I sold some merch. Lou was my boy. I wasn't gonna like right. totally whatever over that. But yeah, it just built up, and I think that was one of the reasons. But like I said, they passed it up now. But. Yeah, that's great. See, I didn't have no frame of reference for okay, that either. Yeah, they, I, I remember sort of all because I was out there showing my music videos. Like at the time, I was yeah, that's right. I, I watched it. You had the little culturama setup, yeah, yeah exactly. Out in the like woods, there was like a yeah, little, I was out in the yeah. woods, man, yeah. And I was actually weirdly enough, I that I was touring that, like I was getting booked to show mm -hmm. that, uh, which yeah, just goes to show you how much has changed since that period of time as well. Yeah, man. Um, but I just remember like that festival being like super far away from from Prague or from the airport and having to like do this like. Very like Eastern European road trip to the wherever the venue was at, and yeah. Um, but I think that was the last time I saw you, which was wow, yeah, yes, quite a while ago. Fifteen years, <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. it's a trip. Yeah, uh, yeah. But what's interesting too is even then, it's like uh, we had connected a much further beyond that, like way earlier. Than oh that yeah. Too. Um, and the thing is with the podcast too, most of the episodes I'd done in New York, where I had like 
all my stuff, all my mm -hmm. my archives and shit. Mm -hmm. So I still have. I mean, I, now they're in boxes because I moved, but. Mm -hmm. The orig your original demo. Uh, oh, wow. Wow. Uh, Not too many people have that. Yeah. I forgot I even sent that to you. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And because uh, I think you sent it with basically a mixtape that you had made uh, mm -hmm. that had a bunch of joints on it that mm -hmm. were of other other people's joints. Right. Know? Yeah. Because we used to trade tapes of like exactly. rare. It was the only way, like for young people, they don't realize like that was the only way to, there was right. no MP3 trading. Like you had no. to like, there were and really was no CD burners quite prominent yet. So yeah, we had to like dub tapes and mail them to each other. And, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this was probably I think that tape um, was nineteen ninety five, ninety six, somewhere around there. It wasn't any later than nineteen ninety six, if I can recall. Yeah. Um, but it had like I remember it had Pete Rock Greenbacks on that, which was still like I'm a weird song that never came out. You know, yeah, solo it was a song he played on like on yeah. the radio. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. There was a bunch of joints on there. It was like, uh, and uh, yeah, so that was like kind of, I guess we were a part of this weird tapestry of like people uh, trying to find, dig a little deeper for yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was uh, a really ill community. Uh, and a lot of people I met from those, like through either the, the those message board, the, uh, was it rec music, hip hop? Exactly. So one of those Usenet, I think that was Usenet was the name right. of I guess the whole just board system or whatever. But right. uh, a lot of dudes I met through that that actually went on to do things. Um, uh, there was a guy named uh, Mr. Richter, Chris Craft. Oh yeah, right. He was this, from Atlanta. Or something? Yeah, he, he did the shaman work recordings right, label. Right. Uh, and then uh, I, I had actually met Soul from Anti, yep. or this was before Anticon and all that. Right, right. I had met him through somehow on there and and we connected yeah and funny enough a lot of people don't know but me and apathy met on the phone like on a three-way conversation uh -huh. on the phone and it was just like it was through soul like he me, yeah me and him used to talk on the phone he was like man i know this kid that's real crazy apathy the alien tongue this dude from connecticut wow. and you know we used to rap over the phone and stuff so he called him up on three-way and oh. we exchanged verses and like we were both on the same type of shit oh. And we just connected from there, and then I moved to New York, you know, and then we were able to, to work because he was in Connecticut. But yeah, wow. that, that's that's actually I got to give props, big up to Soul. <laughs> that's so dope. Uh, that yeah, he he kind of connected us. Man. Yeah, that New England link was pretty strong, like back then, like Boston, Portland, Maine, Connecticut, like anything that was just north of New York City. There was a big network of people. You yeah, know, like uh, especially in that underground of like the mid nineties. Yeah, and I mean this was before. Uh, for Apathy, this was also before, this was even before the Jedi Mind Tricks right, right. album came out. So I, I just knew him as this kid, Apathy right. the Alien Tongue, that had a crazy yeah. name and yeah. had this crazy style. So yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. Because yeah. you were in, you were in Tampa Bay at I was time? in Tampa at that time. Yeah, yeah. This is like late night. This is like 96-ish, 97-ish. Right. And you grew up there or something? or? Yep. I was born and raised in Tampa. And then, yeah, when I was about... In Tampa or Ybor City, there's a different. There's a different. Well, uh, my mom grew up in Ybor City, as did my grandparents. Uh, but I was just from Tampa proper. I, I was near an intersection called Waters Avenue and Armenia Avenue. It's okay. pretty much like right in Tampa. Right, right. Uh, but uh, I moved to New York, I guess, in '98. I was '98ish, '99ish or so. I was only 19. For pursuing music stuff. Yeah, it actually, that's. Uh, 
the people who actually moved me up there was was Bud's distribution, right, Bronx right. Science. I figured you'd ask some questions about that. Oh, well, of course. We'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they they actually relocated me because I was working for them. Uh, they 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 bought an ad in a local Tampa hip hop magazine, and I was connected in Tampa, like knew all the guys doing things in Tampa. So anyway, the guy who worked with this magazine. What was the magazine called? It was called The Hive. Okay. It was a free publication right. that we give out. Yeah. Uh, my man, Uncle Shredded Wheat, uh, he was the one who started it. And then my boy, Cramtronics. Oh, yes. He's popular. Yeah. DJ had been there forever, right? Exactly. He was on the on the boards, too, I think, back then or something. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. He did all the cuts on all our yeah, early yeah. first records. But, yeah. So he helped him with that. It wasn't his magazine, but he helped, did interviews and right. did record reviews or whatever. So he knew this guy, uh, Tariq, Tariq Nelson from uh, Buzz Distribution. Mm-hmm. And... He sent them uh, my demo, not the demo you have. Actually, this it was single demos we were shopping. They were actually finished. It wasn't oh, like the, single song. The cassette for uh, Equilibrium, uh, oh, right, uh, right. Fahrenheit eight one three, and the Walkman Fortress with the Star Wars beat. Yeah. Uh, and the, so the label was in. The dude, the owner of the label, called me back. Uh, this dude named Dave Wallace. He was a co-owner. Dave Wallace. It was owned by Dave Wallace and Livio G, who also has a lot of history. In yeah, it. Devastator, and right? Hip hop radio. I think that was his. Yeah, he put. I know he put some records out as a rapper, like in the mid eighties. Uh, yeah, One of them did. Yeah, Dave did. or Livio G? I it know. was Livio G. I'm not. I don't remember him rapping, but he might have. I know he was part of uh, Mr. X and Mr. Z, the Drink Old. Yeah, oh, he produced that record. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. And the rapper on that it eventually became. Uh, Gutter Mouth. I don't know if you ever seen that name. Or he was on a couple yeah. of my records. Yeah. He was actually in a couple groups. There was a, these are like quote unquote random rap groups, but uh, there was a group called Twenty Five Is Life and another uh-huh. group called Eight Ball. They had a record called What the Fuck Is an Eight Ball. I don't remember that one. It was on Kick Ass Records. Okay, and that was <laughs> Livio G and Dave's. And that was all the rap from Mr. X and Mr. Z. Like uh... that was his biggest record. Then also he went. Livio G went on to produce uh, Fushnik's demo. And some of the first, some of the joints on that first album were produced by Louis OG, like Ring the Alarm and stuff like that. But long story short, so yeah, yeah, well, anyway, uh, he had sent them those tapes. The owner called me back. He was one of the owners, wanted to put it out. We ended up building on the phone or whatever, and he saw I I was like crazy tied in. I knew all about the independent records and because you know how we were in that scene, like, and, and being, people didn't really know, I guess, the way, like. The internet was so early back then that it was hard to, it wasn't as easy to just stumble. Like, you had to know, you had to really look and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, and knowledge was like really important because you're always trying to be up on whatever was out and then whatever might not have come out, but still obtaining it somehow was like, exactly. A, it was a power play of some kind, you know, or there was just a thirst for, you know, more knowledge of like this, who is this rapper I never heard of or producer or whatever. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, long story short again, like we were talking, uh, and he had me working for him, but I was in Tampa, but when he needed me, he, he was focusing on being a big distribution company at that time. Uh They eventually started focusing more on just putting out their own records, but he wanted to expand the distribution. And so he was looking for records to wholesale. So who, so he, he didn't, he was looking to outsource them. So I was faxing him every week, like the names of records, who to call the contact oh, wow. to call up and, and so I was helping a lot. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people that pressed twelve inches back at that time and if they if Buds gave them a call, like I was responsible for them pretty much Yeah, you put get, them up on having them buy some records from them. Although now if they got paid, I don't know. That's not <laughs> my well, that's not my business. But uh right. 
they 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 were a little you know much love to Dave and Livio, but they had some issues with paying people, as is all distributors is notorious for. Absolutely, but yeah. uh, <laughs> that was like a theme back then. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So they. So anyway, he knew I had a passion for this thing. He was starting to. Um, they were going to try to do this big uh, mail order website called orderhiphop.com. Okay. And it was going to try to, you know, be, he saw like UGHH and Sandbox right. kind of bubble. And he was like, man, why don't, why am I, why am I selling to them when we could, we have all these records and more right. and we get them at a wholesale price. So let's, so initially he, he re, he relocated me, offered me a job, got me an apartment, everything right. to come up there and work on that website, which fizzled out they spent a bunch of money developing like the logistics of it yeah i don't and remember it that well yeah it never but... came out oh, okay. it was just too overwhelming like they they over like they wanted me to not only just facilitate how it would work like filling orders or having the catalog but he wanted it to be everything like right. a hip-hop review site okay. like interviews yeah. all this multimedia stuff and the only person in charge of this was me oh, so wow. one person trying to get a site going that massive yeah. It just kind of fizzled out, but my but they realized my value there. I was I was nasty with editing, mastering, all yeah. this type of. Because you were already a producer, right? Exactly, yeah. and I was already so they. I was like the in-house like engineer. We recorded a lot of records up at that office. Oh really? And mixed they had a studio yeah. there. No, well, it was just it was just a, a, a mic and a preamp. Nice. And okay. a computer, but it sounded amazing. Like the acoustics in there was a lot of carpet. Like there was a carpet office. The walls were pretty heavily installed. Wait, so. this was in Manhattan. Yes, six thirty ninth Avenue. So what? What is that? Midtown or something like that? Or yeah, it's mid. It's right like one block over from. Uh, it was. It's between forty fourth and forty fifth Street on Ninth Avenue. So. Okay, nice. Yeah, because you know right I worked next at, to Times Square. Exactly. I worked on the opposite side because, and my story isn't that different from you. Where I le- I was. I grew up in Virginia, and and um, I think through my own uh, ingenuity and hustling, I moved to New York to work at Sandbox when Sandbox opened. Okay, yeah. Like, shortly after Ed was starting to expand it, like, outside of him yeah. doing it the, his first way. Yep. Um, and it was, like, in Midtown. It was, like, right by the Garden. And um, it was that era. I think I got up... I, I got up there by 1997 or 8 or something like that. So, around okay. that same time. Yeah, that's early. Kind yeah. of from when he expanded it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you remember before that, he was, like, a private. Like, you had to... He went around stores and yeah, and would stuff. get records. I, a lot of records yeah. that I got in Tampa were from him doing oh, for a special. Because he would just have, like, a... He used to have sound clips yeah. of, like, all the new, like, indie 12 inches or whatever. And then... uh I would contact him like, "How do I get these records?" And he was nice enough to be like, "All right, well, I can, you know, I can, I can get them for you." And he would list me the prices. We traded records. He would give me trading so, credit, and we do so whatever. That's another person I, I knew from way early. Back yeah, he then. was pretty influential, although he doesn't get the credit that he like deserves. He's mm-hmm. not really out there like seeking that either. No, nah, he was just strictly about the music and getting music. It wasn't. Yeah, and he was a businessman. Yeah, he you was know, too. He like sold a lot of records. For sold people. a lot of records. Kept kept costs down. Mm-hmm. And, and kept it simple. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a pretty good like business practice, especially for that time. You know, like because uh, yeah, people were turning out those 12 inches. Yeah, I mean, buds included. Because I started looking back at at um, all those records. There's a bunch of sub labels. I know Bronx Science was probably the biggest of them, but mm-hmm. even you. Cybertech was your thing too, right? Yeah, I mean, short lived, obviously. Yeah, that was just something he he didn't. He's funny, man, because uh, this is for this is Dave Wallace. Um, right. He's a funny guy, man. He's he's really smart, really really uh really dope dude, man. I owe a lot to him and and Livio, but 
he was just a funny guy. So he 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 thought those records were too like, I guess nerdy or whatever. Because one was oh, like right. a Star Wars beat, the other one was like you know we our records were real wordy and yeah, the Windows we had the, Windows we had the Windows sample. So he's like. These don't sound like records that should be on a, on my Bronx science label. Like you right, have right. to be more hardcore hip hop. And and early in those days, you know, we were all about doing crazy complex rap or whatever. So he just came up with that name, like oh Cybertech. Oh, that was his. Little he just slap threw that. that yeah, just slap that on there because I don't right. want to put it on Bronx science. Right. right. That actually was a long. That's those records. He told he we agreed to it. We signed the contract. This is when I was in Tampa and I was like so excited to get because to have vinyl, I didn't have the money back then to press vinyl. Sure. So to get it pressed and put out and distributed by a major vinyl distributor at that time, I mean, there was only a few at that time, yeah. Buds being one of them, uh, was so exciting. But it took forever for him to put the album out, I mean, the records out. And uh, those were your demos, basically. Basically. Right? And then, because what happened was he got cold feet on it. He's just like, oh, oh I don't know if these will sell, whatever, blah, blah. So right. months and months went by. And I had it. Then I got on the phone with him and just pleaded with him, be like, "Yo, believe, believe in me. Like these records will sell. You're not gonna lose right. money. Right. I know the market." And she's like, "All right, self. Like, right. I'll do it." And he did <laughs> it. But he was like, "Didn't had the whole thing was like he co- cooled off because he didn't want to put it on Bronx Science." And so he's like, "All right, I'll, I'll just make up a sub label name and right, right. we'll throw." It. And he put out a couple other records on that. I think the, the yeah. big there was a record by Bigfoot. Uh huh. That was like a rendition of the Super Mario beat. Oh, where they don't, I know the little Psy had a record on there too. And little Psy, yeah. So it was all he kind of grouped the like kind of yeah. wordy type rap. You see what I'm saying? Right. So that that's how that happened. Yeah, because Bronx Science was a lot more the, I guess the boom bap for, for yeah, like just the more like yeah, boom, hardcore, like not so much hardcore like gangster, but yeah, you know Chris Lowe. Course. Uh, which yeah, you know, you're very you put out one of his albums. Out his album. And I remember yeah, yeah you con- a, a lot of Bud's records were on that. Yeah, album. yeah, no doubt. Like you contacted me, uh, I remember when you were putting that together because I did have some some digital versions, I think, but I didn't have all of them. Oh, right. I had like because I had copies of them from when I left Bud's. Like, right, right. Did you right. like from Dats? And I guess all you had was clean versions or something. Was that the I had some random some array of stuff because yeah. it was Dulio that had the records, mm-hmm. had the had the masters or something. Or Chris didn't have them, and that was a while ago. I'm trying to remember. I mean, yeah, Chris Lowe. Shout out to Chris Lowe. Yeah, I mean, Chris Lowe. I want to well, see. I wouldn't even know. I I know he did some independent records before Bud's. Yeah, yeah. Blue Midnight or one like kind of rare record that was sort mm-hmm. of floating out there, but it. If it wasn't for those, I wouldn't have been familiar with yeah. them like that. That's where he got the, the more of a like a push on a distribution. Yeah, the large pro joint was dope. Like Treacherous Three was great. Yep. yep. Now, were you putting those records together for him, or was he? Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, a lot of records I had hands in, but he was pretty uh, sufficient, self sufficient on those. I mean, uh, actually, Tariq over at Buzz, uh, he had a studio called Database Recordings, which oh, okay. is actually. A lot of rec- uh, foundation and residue. Oh shit! Classic Re- residue. Those are his. Those are his. They recorded at his studio. Those Dope. are like on his label originally, I believe. So anyway, some of those records, like Treacherous Three, I think was mixed at uh at Tariq's studio. He put. The, right. I think uh, Chris had the acapellas and they had to fly them in like manually or what. But it came that out. Sounds about right. Yeah, but it came out mm-hmm. good or whatever. But right. yeah, so Bronx Science, yeah, Chris Lowe. Uh, we had UG, lots of uh, cellar dwellers, Ran Reed. Ran Reed, yeah, there's a lot of Nick Wiz stuff. A lot of Nick Wiz, yeah, Nick used to be up at that office all the time. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, 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 shout out Nick Wiz, man. Very uh, prolific producer from New Jersey, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and was, I know he did cellar dwellers, like, debut. and uh, He did stuff for Milk Bone. Uh, right. Uh, 
And then he was doing a bunch of remixes. Like he did the Mad Skills, Non-Factor. Oh, right. The remix for that. He ran with James D.L. for a while, too. Another yep. character from that era, yep. too. Yeah, that's how, yeah, Another that's, hustler. That's someone else early on that uh, I I'm actually just... I got one of his tapes. Mm-hmm. One of those early... Uh, oh, mixtapes, right. The, one of those double... I think the first double one cassette. Yeah. Um, it wasn't on track. It was Eddie L. and... Uh, Eddie L. and D.L., right. right. And right, I called right. the number on there. And I just, he picked up and I built, I just, this was back right. when he had to call people or whatever. Sure, he had and like, cold call people. Exactly. And um, I told him about this record I had, uh, that I had done with actually the guy, Chris Craft, Mr. Richter. He had a oh, record, right. Divine Mind with his group. Oh, yes. Yep. So we had this record with like El Fudge and Mr. Complex and Kamani of the Masterminds. And right. at that time, those were, you know, so he w- he was interested in, I told him about that record. He was interested in putting it on his next tape. So he, he did put that on, I think, uh, can't remember whatever the next double tape after right, that right. was, and uh, so you were placing songs on things too, kind of. I mean, yeah, I mean, he you know, he looked out on that, and um, then when I moved to New York, he would come to Buzz all the time because you yeah. know, he was trying to shop records or right. get records because of course for his radio show, and we connected like so. That's another early connection. Yeah. So, when you were in New York, were you how focused were you on your own material? That was my main goal. I just, I just was. That was the only way I could be in New York. Right. Was have that job and work there full time. But, but a job like that, working at an indie record label at that time, it well, you know, it was fun. I mean, I could pretty much once they realized how I could do stuff and how I worked, I was more of a night owl. So they would let me just come in late. Like they gave me keys to the office and trusted me, and so I could record late too. Like I would have people come through and do verses, and a lot of those singles were made in that office. So they looked at it as a great way to. You know, we didn't have to do studio time or whatever and just produce the record straight out the office. Yeah, yeah. Because your first actual single of self-titled was the Buds record, right? Or yeah, with the 45 King beat. Yeah, yeah. yeah like... How did um, that come about? Livio had bought a bunch of 45 King. He was working with 45 King for a while on putting out these uh, Beats of the Month oh, right. records. So he bought, like, a slew of beats from... Right. 45 King and like so he owned the rights to all these beats so I was just like yo I want that can I rock that like it was on one of those instrument early instrumental records oh right right. just as an instrumental he was like sure we own it you know do whatever you want so uh that's really how that came about but because that kind of set it up I mean I'm trying to like think of like the timeline between when because I don't know if people differentiated uh between uh this material self-titled and as the as your group too. Well, I, I was more known as a producer, I think, in right. the beginning, because I, a lot, I was really getting my name out there doing beats right. at that time, and like, Apathy's records, first couple records came out before mine. Right, uh, right. He, uh, like, uh, Compatible, the Smackdown on the B-side, uh-huh. and then uh, Ain't Nothing Nice, I think, were his first two records on Bronx Science, like. So did you bring him into the fold for that? Yeah, okay, definitely, cool. like, and he actually, they actually had signed him, which, uh, caused a big fiasco later years down the line when he got signed to Atlantic but that's that's a whole story too in itself. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah because that because at the time I think they weren't even really it was more of a singles market too they weren't doing albums really yeah uh, the only group they had signed that they they were the goal was to put out an album was Chaotix oh yes yeah another great slept on group of that era yep. great producer that dude the R yep yeah. the R yep and uh, Damien the... and uh-huh. uh, I think the Kate or 
I don't remember the other dude's name, but I, I knew the R pretty well. Like he, yeah, he was so. always the one that came up to New York to the right. office to talk business. Are those guys still active in any way? Are you? Do you know anything? What's going on with them? Uh, I, I know that Apathy actually had kept in touch with the R uh, more more recently than I have, but uh, I'm not sure. I really don't know. Right. So then, as like an acting A and R, like I guess you're sort of. Um, you put put this record together for for apathy then yes or like how how would you envision your role in that well yeah because most people now associate you with your work with him of course i mean well we were just so hungry to get like back then the way to make any noise as you know was to put out to be on vinyl and have you just having a record on the shelf people would walk in a record store and buy shit they never heard of just because they were hungry for new so that was kind of like how blogs are now where they where they'll post all the new songs and you check it out like that, you would check it out at the record store. So we were just so thirsty to get records out. And so in hindsight, maybe some people, you know, of course a lot of artists will say this, well, maybe some of those records, people love them and they're classic to them, but they're just like such amateurish like things for us. Cause those records were actually, this was before we got the studio set up in Buds. These were recorded in my apartment, uh, my studio apartment in Manhattan. And on like a on a uh, like one like a four like a digital four track wow. with just like a a real shitty mic like just a, wow. not even a good studio mic. Actually, uh, the dude you ever heard of DJ Unknown, um, Andrew Unknown, and uh, I'm yeah, sure you, yeah. I know you know Mechalek. Of course, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rhode Island. Yep. Yes. So these guys. Time machine. That was a group. Time machine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, I know DJ Unknown. I guess they. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he. Uh, he was working on that mix, one of those early mixtapes he did where it was kind of, kind of like Eddie L and DL right. style with all the f- exclusive freestyles and, and right. so whatever. So he we he didn't have anywhere in the city to record that. We, we couldn't do it at the office at the time. So we were using my apartment to record a lot of like Percy P came through, C Ray's Walls, a bunch of people would come through to do verses for his thing, El Fudge. And while they were there, we would get them to do verses for right. So that the SmackDown kind of came about like that with C Ray's right. Walls and Rise, because Rise was coming through to do freestyles and stuff. So, but yeah, those were in my apartment, mixed, crummy, recorded crummy, but we wanted records. So we so we brought that over to Buds. They were thirsty to just put out. They needed yeah. They needed to keep up productivity, so they gave a chance on those records, and they sold, and people liked right. them. Whatever, but you know they sound terrible to me now. Like just the mix and like. What were you producing on? Uh, I was using Acid, and I and wow. I had just That's early. For that. This is early, yeah, because a couple years into living in New York, I switched to the MPC two thousand right. XL. But uh, yeah, before that, I was using Acid just to make wow. beats and compose. And now I actually, I only use the MPC for a, mat, a certain span of years, and now I'm. I go back to acid. Like interesting. If I produce, I still use acid. And funny enough, I use acid 1.0. Oh, the original version. 1998. Because I'm just used to it. It's on. It's on an old computer. It just makes beats. You don't need a crazy like processor and stuff. Interesting. Just to keep my if I you know I have kind of fallen back from production, but if I make a beat, it's gonna be in that same you know. Yeah, I fuck with that. That's cool. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Yeah, acid was. Like, at the same time that Fruity Loops first came out, like, they, those two were kind of competing with one another, and I think, in reason. Yep, um, yep. But, yeah, Acid had, like, a kind of, uh, from the producers I watched uh, work with it, because I never was a mm-hmm. producer, yeah, it definitely had a very specific kind of sound and uh, density or something to it. Well, or, we did, really, the main thing I loved about it was, 
You can make, you can produce the beats on it, you can mix on it, uh-huh. and you can re- you could record on it. It was just all in one. Yeah, like yeah. we we record. I mean, still when I make a record, I record it in acid, mix right. it in acid. Like every, it's all in one. I got the beat, the vocals, everything all in one thing, and I can make shit on the fly. A- Apathy to this day still uses it. He don't use one right. He uses like a, a bigger, but he kills it with that. Like this, yeah. that's our thing. And he he used to use the ASR ten. Like that was his main sure. tool. And so he went. Ditch that and just straight acid. So. That's dope. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so then, like, uh, when does this whole like? Uh, so how long are you in New York for? You you, you don't live there anymore, right? No, nah, no. Nah. I was I was there about six years or so, six seven years. And that was like the height of the kind of indie twelve inch boom. That whole era. I mean, Buds obviously was a huge part of that puzzle, right? Yep, yep, yep. And then, uh, but they were getting you know as land speed kind of rose to right just because of the sheer volume of records they would put out and they were throwing a lot of money out to get yeah. Red Core Mega and all these things at yeah, the time a lot of albums and doing CDs uh-huh. and they were killing Buzz like you yeah. know what I'm saying Buzz like, hated land speed and uh, I used to tell them all the time I'm like look man you guys need to get into CDs man right. just do it they're they're, they're cheap to press. Definitely. You own the rights to this shit or whatever, like throw it out there, put it on your distribution list. And they're like, nah, we're strictly vinyl. Like we only know vinyl. Let's stick <laughs> right. to And I'm like, yeah, but Lansby. And they're like, they're gonna fail at that. Let them do oh, CDs. Wow. And meanwhile, that they that just I mean, they got they hit a few jackpots with the core mega and the fifty cent. Right. Oh yeah. And Buzz could have easily been in that same game because we had people coming through the office all the time. Yeah. And could have done deals like that. And so, you know. Just a miss. I'm sad about it. You know what I'm saying. And then right. uh, around 2002 ish, uh, they had they had to downsize. They let me go. They let a bunch of really? people go. Yeah. And then I think they only lasted maybe a year after that. So, so did you? Where did you go from New York? Did you go back to Florida? Or? Yeah, yeah. I moved back to Tampa and uh, got got some. I got a house and nice. So I'm kind of like stationed there. Oh, dope, it feels dope. like home, you know. So that's yeah. Home. I mean, you're a big part of that like local community there too. I would imagine, with, at least from back then. Like yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm plugged in. You made a lot of records for those guys too. Definitely, I mean. yep. And uh, really, no. I mean, no one else from. I mean, you know, Tampa has some uh, recipes. Kenny K from Digital Underground. Uh, oh right. Yeah, he was a big, a big person, a uh, big part of Tampa hip hop early on. He, as far as the radio. Hip hop on the radio, mm-hmm. uh, 88.5 WMNF was like the local community station, yeah. and they had a a hip hop show. Uh, but um, yeah, man, I mean, not really. There's really not that many other artists, uh, rappers that put out records like I did or toured, the, like still touring now. You know what I'm saying? And that's yeah. not. The, I'm not down. And there's now. There's you know Justice League, and there's all, there's so many successful people from Tampa. But um, yeah, I, it's. I, I guess I was like kind of the only guy. Yeah, that. you were cranking yeah. out material for these guys too. I mean, there was like, I love to kind of get a sense of just, uh, uh, you know, t- more as a producer though, like just the work ethic that went into that. Because if you look back, and I, you know, you always have to kind of take it with a grain of salt, like the kind of indie records of that era too, like guys grow up a little bit. But I mean, like, that you were knocking out, like a lot of these guys put out albums and many yeah. singles. Magic, Magic Most, that was yep, like Magic that. Most and Dutch Massive, yep. those were the guys in, in my group. And we're still yeah. good friends to oh, this that's day. What's up. Yeah, 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 yep. Because I looked at their kind of discography and it's like a lot of stuff that's made by you as well. So you kind of helped. I, I, was, the, I was the plug, you right. know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, yeah, I'm responsible for a lot of what, I mean, I want. I just had a passion for it, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like when you have a passion for that, that hard about something, 
you're just, I mean, my thing is, I wanted to just have, I wanted to have my name out there as, on many things as I could, like, right. and on many, as many different labels as possible. Like, I didn't just want to have Buzz Records. And they used to get mad at me because I did stuff on, like, Stone Groove, right. or I would do stuff for other labels, yeah. and they would see these records come out and be like, yeah. yo, you work for us. Like, and I'm like, well, we don't have no, I didn't sign a contract, right, right. an exclusive, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I'm free to, I'm a free agent as far as that goes. I'll do my job here, but, you know, as far as I'm, I'm an artist. Like I'm trying to get. Like if yeah. you ask, like my goal. Yeah, my goal was just to infiltrate that scene and get popping. Like, yeah. Well, you made a you made an impression. That's for sure. I yeah. Mean, so then, how does the demigods thing kind of take off? Because that first record was on a West Coast label too. Also yeah. of that era. Well, demigods was something uh, I became a part of early on. Like when I first started talking to Apathy, right? Like in '97 ish or so. Like I told you, and I used to talk to him in open mic. Uh, also in our crew. Oh yeah, so that dude was like a. De- I know his work as a designer, right? Because he yeah. did a lot of rec- those records at that time. Yeah, those were a lot Layouts. of his, his first graphics works are also those records. Right. Yeah, now he still does graphics and does a lot of stuff for us. Um, oh, no. But yeah, uh, he had started Demigods like uh, in Connecticut, uh, and the original Demigods was uh, just a different. It was a group of men. It wasn't didn't even have apathy in it. You know what I'm oh, saying? Really? So. Uh, eventually, though, Apathy came into Fray, grew up with, with Open Mic, and uh, they, 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 they put out a cassette, actually, uh, as Demigods. It's just him and Open Mic. It's really rare. It's a real oh. pressed cassette, huh. yeah, but it's like... Uh, What's it like? What's the sound like? Uh, a lot of the songs are on that uh, Apathy, uh, It's the Bootleg. Oh, right, right. Put a little CD yeah. joint out. Yeah. Those joints, they'll say like 1997 in parentheses or whatever, but... Uh, yeah, so then, you know, when I started talking to these guys and they thought I was really dope, MC, producer, all this stuff, and then so they asked me to join. To be like, yo, we want to be part of this crew. And so, yeah, I, we just rolled with it. And then when I moved to New York, it kept growing. And then we just we kept adding people as we made friends and connections. Right. So, you know, we were we were friends with Esoteric. We were friends with Lewis Logic and all these guys. And we asked them to, right, right. to join Rise and um, El Fudge. And everybody was down. So that's yeah. kind of how. And then, yeah, we put that record together. And uh, I don't know how I got in touch. Maybe through my man Cheap Shot. Um, oh yeah, Styles, so Styles and Beyond. Beyond was associated with that too, right? Yeah, yeah, they had done some work with. Uh, I think uh, this was a uh, uh, Ill Boogie Records. Yeah, right. M Boogie was M Boogie and DJ Dusk. Rest in peace too. Okay, I think he was a part of that label during that release as well. Yeah, yeah. Real respect to LA producer DJ. Dope, dope. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he uh was in, like, I don't know how he got we chopped it to him or whatever, but he was like, Yo, I'm doing this uh earplug series. Oh right. And right, I'm right. gonna put out like every month or however it worked. He's like, I wanna put out this EP. Right. And so that was that. And we were excited because that was the first like his deal was through Caroline, EMI. Yeah, so that's that was a big like deal. it was in sto- in chain stores right. and everything. And that actually that record got us Flown out to L.A. to meet with Jimmy Iovine in 2002. Really? Which okay. led to Apathy's eventually signing to uh, Atlantic. So what was the Jimmy meeting like? He was like, he heard just that was CD it? and was like, yo, what's up? Well, what so not, um, I think the guy's name was Jason. I don't remember his last name. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jason was, I guess he was like Jimmy Iovine's assistant. And he was a fan. Somehow he got the CD. Right. And was a fan of it and was playing it in the office. And the intro to the CD is a redo of the intro to the chronic. 
Oh, right, right, right. It, it, like, we, we, we looped that beat, yeah. like, which is hard at the time. There was no instrumental of that intro yeah. of the Chronic, so I, like, looped it from chopping up pieces at the end of the, where there's no right. talking. And uh, I'm talking like Dr. Dre, and he's talking, and App is, is, like, talking like Snoop, whatever. But anyway, it's silly, goofy at the time, whatever. But he was playing that, and Jimmy Iovine walked by and was like, what is this? Who are these guys? This is hilarious. I love this. And, like, he played a couple tracks. He's like, Get these guys out here. Like, let's, you know what I'm saying? He was really interested. So I got a phone call at my desk at Bud's. Oh, nice. And the dude was like, yeah, this is uh, someone's Jason from uh, Interscope Records. And, you know, we're interested in in, in flying you guys out here to uh, see what more music you got, possibly talk about a deal. So we were like, you know, and at this time we were only... 21, 22 years old. Were you doing old. shows or anything at that time? Or? We had done very few shows. Right. We did a lot of shows in uh, Ocean Mist in uh, Rhode What's Island. That? That's like a, it's a, if you live in the New England like area back then, uh, you would know. It's just a, like mad people would perform there. From, the like, people it was the spot, Mr. Complex and uh, J Zone. Everybody used to do shows out people there. People came out? Yeah, it was a scene sure. out there. This okay. was in Mechalek, always yeah, yeah, yeah. DJing up there. And, um, gotcha. So, so yeah, that that was the spot. We've done a lot of shows there. So mostly in Boston. So a lot of my early shows I did with Apathy. Uh, we did shows out in New England. Right. A couple. I did. I, I performed in New Eureka, and I did a couple things in so. in, in New York. Uh, I used to go to a lot of. Uh, I guess was it the Wetlands? Was mm-hmm. a, was a club? They used oh, yeah. to have the. I guess was it Bragging Rights? Was that I know Bragging Rights? Yeah, was that the Wetlands? Or I might have moved a couple room around a couple rooms, but yeah, that was like a. I remember being at the weekly. Wetlands a few times. Yes, yeah. so I, I mean I didn't lineups back then. I didn't perform there, but I remember uh, going to a lot of shows there. Battles. I yeah, remember seeing Tramps was another one at the time. Tramps, yep, yep, yeah. definitely, man. But um, so then he brings you guys out, and then what's the, what comes out? So of this is what happened. So uh, we were gassed, man. They flew us out. Uh, they put us at the standard. Oh, nice! There you uh, go. They gave That'll us, do it. yeah, they gave us a, a suburban like rental. Oh, they gave us cell phones. We didn't have cell phones wow. at the time. This early cell phone sure. era. We're like, yo, we need like ways to call you guys or whatever. Ah, we'll buy you cell phones. So they bought a couple like prepaid cell phones, and um, both of our first time in LA. Uh-huh. So this nice. was like, you were twenty two, <laughs> twenty one years old, thinking we're about to be stars or whatever. Long story short, that's my, I'm saying that a lot, but it is a long story. But we 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 were set to meet. Everything was good. We got we met with Jason. Went up to the office, but Eminem was filming. I think it was the Way I Am video or some. He was doing some video shoot, and um, he was like, ah, "I'm gonna shoot over to that man," and that was it. Oh, really? Like he blew off our interview. Wow. And weird thing, and we're like. Oh, so are we rescheduling or whatever? And he's like, he was like, nah, he hasn't said anything about. Oh, wow. I guess he lost interest that fast, or just was that crazy of a guy? Like, right. oh, I'm, I can't do this. Me, I'm gonna go. I need to go to M's video shoot and yeah. just hang out. Like, wow. so yeah, you know, because Eminem decided to hmm. do his video. Then it's nah, but uh, that's a trip. Yeah, but um, it worked out anyway because because of the buzz of that word gets around. People are labels talk yeah. or whatever. So. We were getting courted by other late, like people were interested in meeting with us uh, at that time. And right. our homie, uh, this guy Miles Lewis, who used to work up at BMI, uh-huh. uh, he uh, plugged us in. I was working with him already, uh, shopping beats with him and, mm-hmm. and stuff. He he called he called up Atlantic or he knew uh, Mike Karen. 
right. uh, at Atlantic and got us a meeting and we met with Mike Karen and uh, you know eventually he was interested in signing Apathy so he got Apathy signed to a solo deal back in 2002 but did that record ever come out if I'm mistaken or nah no? nothing ever I mean the only thing that really came out under Atlantic not really I guess technically because it was under there um, like, it was a song called Drive It Like I Stole It yeah. which was used in a bunch of like movies and TV and it's in like Midnight Midnight Dub one of those video games uh-huh, right. a lot of people know from that but yeah no record actually ever came out he recorded like probably half an album's worth was he with, doing that with you? Uh, no not at that time he's working a lot with uh, this producer from Rhode Island called Eighth Wonder this is before Ninth Wonder right. uh, this dude named and he had to change his name to Eighth so there wouldn't be any confusion, but um, he was mainly working with him because he was like sample free. He oh, could right, make right. stuff sound sampley, but you know. So yeah, and then he he did some work with some like produce like we would get beats from like we had a app had a track from Alchemist that never came out. Oh, dope. Uh, that dude Megahertz did a beat. Right, right, right. Uh, lots of we had Kanye West beats. I mean, back and app wow. actually met with Kanye at that time when Kanye wasn't. Well, really that no yeah, like a producer yeah, yeah. yeah. I said he was a real dickhead but or yeah but uh I can envision that yeah yeah that major label kind of dance that, that every artist like kind of has a little brush with that whether they mm-hmm. sign or they sign and nothing comes out or mm-hmm. they get signed up just so they're kept from releasing material like there's yeah we don't know I mean we we, we theorize about it like it could have been they just wanted to sign them to keep them yeah. locked so no one else could sign them and in, in the meantime you know make him a pet project and right. have you know not spend a lot of money and just have him record and maybe he'll make a hit but they kind of wanted him to do really corny stuff like you know really like suggestive uh, like stuff about it was, it's crazy thinking back on it like like high school girls like you know what I mean oh, it was, so they were pitching him concepts like, for yeah as like a like just like the like a sleazy like playboy like college chick like right, weird thing right. kind of like um kind of like asher roth but asher roth wasn't like as it was more serious like somewhat serious but the crazy thing speaking of that uh apathy had actually was the one who made that beat with mike karen uh, i love college i think no way really and got no credit whatever like wow. they just jacked the idea because so, that made that dude's career yeah that was all apps like i that's to, it was it was mike karen's idea to use the sample app hooked it up the impeach the president drums a break right. on everything and then that they eventually came wow. out as his record. That's a trip, man. Yeah, so it's kinda No yeah. credit for that though? No credit. No credit. Or a paper and no money no, from that? No, oh wow. Straight shaft. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's some industry shit right there. Wow. Yeah. So wow so then uh so then you guys just keep what forging ahead as far as the group? Yeah, well like, I mean so you guys yeah. seem to interweave every couple of years to do a project or something like or Yeah, well luckily we luckily Atlantic wasn't too much of jerks like eventually once it wasn't working out and it was obvious he wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do they let us like they let him get off the label painlessly like and and uh walk with his masters like he had actually recorded his first album that came out eastern philosophy which came out on baby grand uh if you look at the back of baby grant on that record it says a light exclusive license from atlantic records okay so that was going to be yeah so they granted that license but then when he got away from Atlantic after that, they were kind enough, like, we walked away with all those men. So we own everything from that was recorded under their umbrella. Uh, And then, yeah, then we just kept, then we just decided to go independent and just 
we we linked up with a lot of uh we kept like reinventing ourselves by linking up with groups like you know we got really tight with styles of beyond and you know made them part of demigods yeah. and then they were part of the four minor project with mike shinoda and then we became part of that so through and, that what you guys were basically the mcs the in-house rappers on in the group or something or no like we work? were like honorary like member you know what i'm right. saying like affiliates um right uh, but uh, Ryu and Tak from oh, Styles right. of Beyond were the main MCs along with Mike Shinoda. Of course, it was his. Basically, it was it was a Mike Shinoda solo project, but he wanted to give it like it was supposed to be like Mike Shinoda featuring mm -hmm. Styles of Beyond, mm -hmm. but he wanted to give it like a group feel or whatever. Right. So it, it it that's it became Fort Minor, and uh, with uh, Cheap Shot and uh, Vin Scully as the DJs and. Uh, Ryu and Tak as the MCs with Shinoda. Yeah, I mean, I love that team of dudes too. That whole Styles of Beyond, Cheap Shot, and even back then Lexicon was a part of it too. They were just like mm -hmm. real motivated. They were they were trying. Mm -hmm. They were seeing. They were part of the whole like game, you know, putting out albums and trying to just break ground. And they had a you know unique sound. You know, definitely matched with I think what you guys were doing, right? Yeah. Obviously. Well, I mean, we had mutual respect, like. Right. Oh, like they were doing what we over here. They were doing what we were trying to do in New York. You right. know what I'm saying? Grinding, putting out indie records. I mean, Cheap Shot had a Spy Tech. I mean, it was their label, but Cheap Shot was kind of the one yeah. doing all the production and stuff. So, uh, I used to talk to him so many, like so much, just email and phone calls. Yeah. Like, yep. He's a great guy, man. And, um, so yeah, that, that we just had mutual respect and, uh, we clicked. And then, yeah, they, they actually, they, uh, they worked with Mike Shinoda early on. That's how right, Mike Shinoda right. chose them. Right. Like before Lincoln Park, before they were anybody. Right. Like they used to do hip hop together. Like they were just homies. Right. And so when he when he decided to do the hip hop side project, he went and scooped them up. Yeah. And then so we were associate. We were they were demigods. So we this was time we were hanging heavy, and Mike loved me and apathy, and so he put us on a lot of records on the on the the uh, Green Lantern uh, right. invasion mixtape, which did crazy numbers and then I was fortunate enough to get a little skit on the actual Fort Minor album so I got a gold it was my only gold plaque in my house wow. like yeah so it was kind of ill but uh yeah like, we went on tour how was that Fort Minor. it was awesome like we had like uh all like tour bus with like drop down flat screens with nice. xboxes all networked to play, to play like Halo 2 this is like <laughs> 2005 so this yeah. is like a, a, um uh, we had like in ear in ear monitors, right? We, which was amazing. I mean, I've never done shows since then like that. It was just like amazing right. to not have to shout over shitty monitors on stage. Like the yeah. shit is just clear mix. Like you hear, you don't have to stress your vocals. Nothing. Exactly. Like it was awesome. Like I, I, there's yeah. no other word I can use to describe it. Awesome. Yeah, I mean to come out yeah. of like the underground and have finally be able to actually like get some a nice piece of action. As yeah, far as like get a taste of what it's like. Yeah. like someone who's really popping like right yeah yeah because then demigods after that like you guys became like kind of a force there was like definitely mm -hmm. the, it was the era of like there was kind of clashing clicks too yep so yep. um and you had a presence that was a big presence in that for sure I, and honestly i'm not super informed on on all of that but i what i do love and what i kind of 
forgot about that. I remembered recently when I was going through your records and stuff was that you were pressed that you pressed up disc records yes. of your own di- disc records that were aimed at you. Exactly. Which is the ultimate like, you know, checkmate move, man, if there yeah. ever was one. I mean And unprecedented. I don't think that's ever no, happened. No, and it never been done before. I've done yeah. a lot of firsts, man. I done okay. same thing with the catalog. No one had put out a four disc oh, yes. compilation right. like that of there. So but yeah, that's thing I just was plugged in, man. This was after I was working at Bud's. I was really tight with uh uh, Will Sokolov from Sleeping Bag yes, Press and yeah, Freeze, Freeze. Right? and then he had Freeze Records and, and uh, their pressing plant mm-hmm. with his brother. Yeah, I was real tight with him. I got tight with him. He was real good friends with uh, Dave Wallace from Buds, so he used to come over to Buds all the time. Yeah, so I was real tight with him. Was he pressing up the Bud stuff uh, at his plant, or did he have a plant back then? Nah, no, it was they got the plant afterwards. Yeah. But um, so I was just. I was helping him put out records and and, and uh, mastering stuff and editing right. stuff or whatever. He would hire me for little jobs like that. But I basically he would press anything I wanted, no questions asked. Like right, right. If I wanted, you know what I'm saying? Like right. any any 12 inch I wanted out there, he would press it, not care if it didn't sell or whatever. But so I was like, I I told him this idea. I'm like, are you cool with me? Doing this, like, you, if you catch some heat from it, are you, you you don't care? He's like, nah, this is a great idea, self. Like, so yeah, I just, I, it didn't cost me nothing. Like, they they tried to put out a rumor that like, I pressed all these records and and the, all the distributors and stores like wouldn't take them, and I got stuck in like a apartment full of records or whatever. Oh, but right. I never fucking spent a dime on like right. that was pressed by Freeze Records, like, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? And it sold. It sold. Sure. Like, like I made a few grand off that. Like no joke. That's like, what's up. And the crazy thing was is that uh, when like stores like Fat Beats and Sandbox and Hip Hop Site, they carried it initially. And uh, and yeah, for those I mean, we're talking about uh, there's a record I put out by diss songs that were aimed towards Seven Eleven Esoteric and myself, and it was it's Cajun copyright. So Eastern Conference, uh, Mighty My, right. He, yeah, because all these dudes told me, they're like, yo, my Milo called me, like, all, like, upset. Like, he felt betrayed that, like, that they would take those records from me and and put them up for sale, like, feature them on sale, like, they're bootlegs, mm-hmm. technically, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was really upset at, the, at like, hip-hop side and everyone for selling those records. And he had, so he got them t- taken down from those right, right. sites. And, and, of course, at Fat Beats, he was so pissed because, like, right. well, you put out my records. Like, how could you right, right. do? But everyone loved it. They just thought it was so funny and genius. Yeah, and people liked me. Like, I had a good rapport with everyone. Uh so they were like, yeah, this is great. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but yeah, it still got, it went to Europe. It got distributed everywhere. So right. whatever. How, what, yeah. When did that, how did that all even set off? I mean, we don't have to dig too deep in it because it's a kind of an old beef anyway. Yeah, definitely. But people ask about it. I mean, it's a part of history. I mean, I'm a, you know, it, it was a long time ago. I don't really hold no grudges about it at this point. I'm sure the others side don't is not really concerned but yeah people have changed a lot too I yeah it's, like just some like some, it's like some kid shit you know what yeah. i'm saying but but as far as the records go because there's a bunch yeah. of records that are shot back and forth i don't really we don't need to break open like any of the personal right right well i'm just saying how it started right. I, i'm plain and simple right. and then from what i've heard from from copyright himself actually which was through uh this uh a homie of ours that runs uh man bites dogs record that uh-huh. man bites dog records uh, that put out some copyright stuff, gave you know, told us what copyrights owe him about right. what the reason. But anyway, uh, we were just minding our own business. We we formed the demigods, and they had the weathermen. 
So it was like two kind of little super group things. Right. And, you know, they had the more like respected like New York artists like, you know, Breezley Bruin and LP and all this stuff. So we didn't even look at them as like, we weren't competing with them or taking their idea. Like we had demigods at the same time. Like there was, there was no jacking or anything like that. And uh, so I guess they were just hating. Like I guess Cage wanted to hate on us or... Like I said, we never did. We never dissed him. We never, right. we never, we never started nothing. But he started dissing like on his message board. I know this sounds like stupid, but right. well, he would get on his message board and diss Seven L and Esoteric right. and diss Demigods, and uh, we couldn't figure it out. We were like, "What the fuck is going right. on?" Tried to like you know co communicate through the message board, like, "Yo, what you know? There's no issue." Like kids. Fans on there wanted to see the beef happen. So they were like making up stories like, yo, I just came from my boy in Connecticut crib and I heard this like scathing diss track from the uh, demigods that tearing Cade's a new asshole. Right. Like, and we never did, like, you know what I'm saying? So then it, it just, to make a long story short, once again, it, it just culminated when uh, he, he threatened, like the, him and, and uh, Copyright threatened on there, like there was an event coming up at SOB's Okay. Uh, uh, it was like part of this. I think it was part of CMJ. Okay, so it's a big so show. It was MF Doom, right? Uh, Cades or Eastern Conference, and it was uh, Seven Hundred Esoteric and us. Oh, all and we were bill. all gonna be on the bill or whatever. So they were like, "Yeah, at that CMJ shit, like the Esoterodactyl's gonna get his beak broken and all." Like they were talking. Oh, wow. So I'm like, "All right, man. Like if that's what it is. Then that's what it is." And uh, so we went to that event. And Esoteric tried to battle. Cage like settled it on a battle. And things went a little wacky and, and, and he got punched in the face. And mm. uh that's that. But uh what I could say about it is uh that's that's nothing more than that, man. We never started it and later on, like I said, I heard through through our dude uh that had got the info from copyright that Cage purposely like he saw G Unit and like these dudes like ripping with off. with Ja Rule, so he's like, we should have an underground, like we should beef with some underground rappers, and right, he chose right. us. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he thought, you know, the the reaction he was gonna get, right. all that happened to him and everything with the record, the bootleg, and yeah, I mean, it, yeah, so yeah, I mean that's a trip to kind of think back, but I mean even what what I guess what's cool about it or what's kind of good about it is that it did a, you know, there was a moment of, of putting releases out and kind of, you know, beyond anything physical that goes down, which right. is, an, that can be inevitable if like, if like in the middle of a club and it gets a little heated. I mean, that's not the first time something like that's happened in the genre of hip hop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, we were young, we were all yeah. young uh, and caught up in a lot of bullshit. So, it happened, man, and uh, it's just shit. So people, like I said, still ask me about this shit to this day. Like, yeah, people love to talk yeah, about yeah, old beats. Yeah, too, exactly. So. so I mean, but I, yeah, I mean, having just like gone back to those records, it was fresh in my mind. But then I went back to the the, the I guess the first album you did with Buck Wild, which I yep. think is incredible. I think it's a dope, it's an incredible piece of work. Thank you. I'm glad that you did that. Or and I'd love to talk about that, how that happened. But there is that. Uh, there's like this, you know, autobiographical song mm -hmm. on that record. Um, yeah, but I do touch on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as well as a lot of stuff, too, mm -hmm. which was like, I, um, I kind of forgot about that joint. I've been listening to it a lot lately. Um, uh, 
I could write a rhyme. That's the name yep. of the joint, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, and that it sort of yeah, it tells this pretty great tale of like you know your basically your whole origin story and uh, in a way that not a lot of you know that also kind of harkens to that era to where the production mm-hmm. comes from. So it's kind of a cool homage and like on two on multiple levels and shit. Yeah. Um, how did the Buck Wild thing come about? Like, you know, how did you know him ahead of time, or no? That was actually uh, going back to uh, DL. Right, right. Uh, we worked a lot after uh, after we used to connect all the time at Buds. Uh, we worked on a lot of projects together. Like we were trying to put together uh, a single for Quest and do a remix uh, with Rise and oh, yeah. the Ace. So right. I don't remember. So. I was still, we were still working together and uh, he ended up doing management. He was doing management for Lord Finesse and then he eventually got into some management for Buckwild. And uh, so as a fan, I was just talking to him and I was like, yo, does he find out if he's got like a bunch of old discs, like his old, like right. he was, and sure enough he did. He's like, yo, he's got, he has all this shit. He has all these discs and storage. And I'm like, man, get those beats and let's see if he wants to do an album using those beats. Right. So that was the concept of that. And he was with it. So that's basically Amazing. how we had like, he was, Buck was familiar with my name. Mm-hmm. He had seen my records. But prior to that, yeah, we hadn't, you know, connected until we connected uh, through, through DL. And is that something you, that's, you released that on your own, right? Yeah, well, me and DL put that out. Uh, it was under the No Sleep. Oh, right, uh, right, right. His, his imprint, imprint right. we put it. But yeah, we, we funded that and, and pressed that. And did yeah. you record that? Like, were you the basically the mix engineer for that too or something? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I recorded the majority of it in, in uh, Florida. And then we had uh, Nick Wiz helped out. out oh, actually, nice. we were recording a lot of people. Uh, oh, yeah, because there's other studio, guests on New it. Jersey. Yeah, 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 people, the New York people will come to record at uh, Nick's spot. And uh, I mean, the DITC song is kind of like amazing too, just to be able to assemble all of those guys. Yeah. It's pretty rare that all of them, I mean, that particular lineup of Sadat, Puba, Diamond, AG, and OC, OC like yeah, you know. all at once at that time. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, but that that just had a lot to do. I mean, those, you know, it's easy to say, like, yo, this is a record for Buckwild. Like, right. you know, so, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, we we uh had a uh, JJ Brown. Actually, oh, from, yes. from, from, Lewis, from Lewis Logic Lewis. and 5G Productions. Uh, he did, him and uh, his boy, uh, Dan Meyer, uh-huh. uh, were uh, the, the mix engineers. So okay, they, they cool. make, the reason why that record sounds so good, too, I got a, a tribute to those guys. Yeah, I was curious yeah. if, like, what was the credit for that? Because, uh, you know, those beats come from an era that mm-hmm. is typically associated with bigger studio hip-hop records. So mm-hmm. it had a just sounded bigger and better, like, compared to some... I mean, because a lot of it was analog gear and, like... Yeah, and a lot of it was, like, muffled and, and yeah. stuff, so it needed a lot of EQ. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, like, yeah. so, that you know, these were straight from the raw discs. Right, you know right. What I'm saying? So it got spiced up a lot with it, with their uh, engineering and yeah. mastering. It's a great record. Slept on... I don't know if it slept on or not. I think it's a great release. I think it slept on. It's, it's, do you do those joints live at all, or...? Yeah, I do some joints okay, from that. Cool. Yeah, like, more hype ones, like... Right. Uh, Mad Ammo and uh, uh, we do it like what was it? What is it? Uh, the Deal Maker. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the uh, opening. And we do the swashbuckling joint, like yeah. uh, me and Apathy do our verses from that. Um, I love the joint you and I have with Primo, but you have a, there's a couple, right? There's one on 
The one that had the music video, that's my joint. Okay, yeah, that's Stop What You're Doing. That's got to be like, like a, a, you know, you do that at the shows, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's the show rocker for sure. There's yeah. another one with Primo, though, on NYG's, if I'm mistaken in thinking that. Nah, we have a few with Premiere, but nah, the song with NYG's is, I think it's produced by Abbott. Okay, gotcha. It's, well, it's not NYG, it's just Panty. Oh, gotcha. From NYG's. Right. But uh, yeah, we have that. Then we have a, a, a record, a Demigods record uh, called Worst Nightmare. That's the other Primo joint. And then. App recently got a primo joint for his widow's son album. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget the name of the song. Uh, the order. So what's the deal with this tour that you're on now? Because it's like a, a, a you know for you. So this has got to be a pretty long one, right? You don't do a lot of like full national tours, or have I been sleeping? Uh, you've been sleeping. I mean, but not not maybe to this extent. Like okay. it wasn't until last year that we did our first like two-leg tour where we right. hit the midwest and east coast and the west coast yeah kind of all in the same time so we're doing that again this year so, uh how's it been going it's going great yeah. and uh you know uh we're touching a lot of cities we've never been to right which is good always good to do i mean like on the midwest side like we hadn't done uh cincinnati before and uh a couple other spots so we've, right. been, we've been hitting a lot of spots that we never done same thing out here on the west like we never done spokane and some weird places yeah so, yeah. yeah yeah they're worth hitting uh you know every so often yeah for yeah sure. yeah exactly just wanted to test the waters and see what kind of fan base what's the record because you you have a single that just came out too right yeah it's called paragraphs of murder it's just something i threw out uh just because it had been so long since i had put out anything yeah yeah i was surprised to see that because i mean yeah. if you're doing this much like you know touring then i would hope that you would you know pivot some of your own solo stuff off of that as we well. are like we're definitely taking and we're taking a break from the touring like because we've been touring i mean apathy has steady been putting out new albums and we've been touring that and this time around uh some some places are a little lackluster i think because uh we didn't have no new records since last year like right. widow's son was the big draw last year app hasn't put out another album i haven't put out an album so we're just kind of touring off of our old music which still people love to hear right. uh, and of course uh a lot of stuff we do uh hit records we have i say hit records but like underground hit records with uh army the pharaohs that's another oh, yes, we have to get into that but yeah right. that's the other super group we're a part of but uh what's the how where is that at right now as far as what? As far as this activity and stuff. Like, I mean, we're all like friends. We're all, we all, like you, if they put out, if, if, if uh, you know, Outer Space or someone puts right. out a solo record, I mean, a group record, they're going to have us feature on it, vice yeah, versa. Yeah. Like, we always still collab, even when there's not like a, a full on album. I don't know. There may be another album. We've kind of, we, we, we kind of came swinging and put out two albums, like back to back. We did right. that in like, 2014 2015 and i kind of overloaded people with music at that time but uh you know we just haven't we haven't put together anything new I, i'm not sure if there'll be another group album not not for any foul reason but yeah, just because yeah, yeah. you know we're getting old man doing this no, for a long time i, know. Like, I mean that's why it's, it's hard to tour that as well that's the other course, problem well there's a lot of guys it's yeah it's just too many flights too many so right. the logistics of it is tough and you know, uh, Vinny Paz, he he pretty much oversees these projects, right. so it's it's a lot on him. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And he has his own solo stuff and other groups that you know that stuff uh, is way more. It, it's like he's showing love by doing these right, projects right. for us. He don't have to do it. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it's it's not doesn't amount much to him, uh, like monetarily. So he's just doing it out of love, like and, and to showcase the crew. 
So we respect that. So whenever he's ready to do do it again, you know, we're ready. But yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, just for your work too, because you're sort of associated with a lot of different artists and acts. I mean, yeah, and that's kind of evolved over the years. But the fact that, like, you know, you're, you know, it's like a good twenty plus twenty five years recording. Yeah, and performing pretty much probably. I would imagine around, yeah, yeah. around that. You know, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, early on, like. I think the first time we went to Europe was like 2002. Right. So that was about the beginning where I started doing shows more. Like, right, right. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, obviously you kind of came up in the era of like going to the radio station, yeah. rapping on the radio. Oh, and and, yeah. And, and I opened up in Tampa at a couple shows. Right. Like KRS-One right. or J-Ru to Damage. Oh, so Shows like that. We As self-titled? As Equilibrium with my nice. group or with Walkman. The group yes. Right. Guys, Never yeah. as the original uh, demo name. No, 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 no. No, that wasn't an era of performance. That was like uh, just testing the waters, basically. I mean, yeah, I was like 16 years old. No way, really? Yeah, 16, wow. 17. Uh, and so, yeah, I was just, that was that's my humble beginnings. Like, yeah. before you find yourself, you know what I'm Well, saying? of course, yeah. I mean, it's got to start with everybody, especially like you look at, I guess the point, the larger point I'm trying to make too is that like, since I kind of connected with you when we we're both probably around 15, 16 years old, like yeah. along with a lot of other people, um, that not that many, you know, could, you know, stick it out, you know, and mm -hmm. make a living off of it yeah. and uh, be able to diversify. Like, I think like you, you kind of hold a pretty unique situation where, um, you have been, worked as a, an A&R and like oversaw a lot of records. You're like yep. an in-house producer for like basically a label mm -hmm. distribution place as well as sort of like, you know, pivoting. Uh, solo records and multiple group records too and then doing you know you also kind of with the help of others i'm sure james dl and other mm -hmm. characters there's a lot of guys rappers from the 90s who you helped kind of embolden their work and stuff too yeah like featuring on people getting cats involved i mean i don't know all the inner workings of who was involved with what but right. lots of guys that you know were dope that don't that had a couple uh big records in the 90s but mm -hmm. like that needed you know, needed to continue working through the the tough mid-ops, you know, which was yeah. like a, a rough era for a lot of people didn't make it out of that era. Yeah, know I know what you're talking about. So yeah. it's dope that you're, not only are you putting new material out even in 2019, mm -hmm. and as we're going into 20, that like you're touring and like, you know, you can still make it make it work, you know. Like, yeah, well, I mean, myself and Apathy, I mean, we're, we're, we're blessed to still, there's not, and it's not to put anyone down, but there's not too many artists that came from our era, our style of like the boom bap hip hop that are still able to get tours today and still right. sell considerable amount of records and streams and right. still have a strong fan base where it's like we gaining like young fans still, like we keep getting younger fans even. So yeah, it's like, key. you know, and I attribute a lot of it. Like, it's, like all these things I'm talking about, Fort Minor, Army of the Pharaohs and Demigods, these things help keep our value you know keep us fresh and keep, right. and and it's in the association between the fan bases of all the artists we're connected with yeah i feel like word of mouth like i realized early on when i was striving to network and like i said get my name everywhere because that was the best form like underground hip-hop was word of mouth a lot you know what i'm saying when the internet was in its early stages there wasn't really much promotion on there to do so if i could just end up on people's records who have fan bases and then they stumbled across my stuff and you know what i'm saying so i mean pretty no, much a no-brainer but yeah that was the goal to just kind of saturate my name 
and it was easier to do it with production right early on so sure. there's more people like it's not like I could just meet someone and be like hey I'm gonna hop and rap on your record like you know what I'm saying right, so right. it's like but they'll take a beat from me right and I could get my credit that way you know what right, I mean? right, right. so yeah, and coming out of a place like Tampa, Florida, I mean, that's not like the easiest spot to kind of break out of, too. You know, yeah. you have to kind of work extra hard, especially in those early days, too, like and kind of pay your dues in New York and, and make it work. And stuff. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think it's dope, man. I mean, I appreciate the fact that you, you came here and we could uh, do this. Definitely. Um, and that like, yeah, you got like, there's still a lot of longevity in your career, which is like reassuring and shit, too, you know, like. Because uh, even this uh, paragraphs of murder—that's the new joint. Like, mm -hmm. um, for that style of like smacking in the face, like hip hop type yeah. shit, like, like you got it down, man. Like, yeah, you know? I mean it's my signature. I mean I've kind of—I don't want to steer away. I mean I don't want to be redundant, but I'm—I'm I'm just kind of—I kind of make music how I'm like I'm kind of a closed-minded fan. Like I don't like listen to broad uh, arrays of different type of music right. or even hip hop. I'm kind of like I just like hardcore. I mean of course I grew up listening to all kinds of crazy, uh, you know, scientific rap, all that. Like, I love all that, too, but, like, my always go-to thing is just hardcore, right. gangster rap, like, West Coast and East Coast, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Uh, and uh, actually, on that note, like, one of my favorite albums I did, but it's the most slept-on fucking thing, is the Boss Hog Barbarians project. Uh, with J-Zone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Shout out to J-Zone, man. That's my brother, man. We had so much fun making that. And it's his it's his favorite record, too. I can I don't doubt that. I mean, we had so much fun with it, but it just got the least love. I don't know if people thought it was a joke or right. if they just... It was just so different sounding, like a lot of funk West Coast It was Coast hardcore style. as hell. Yeah, so... Yeah. I think the cover might have made people think you were kind of... I mean, we around. were having fun. I mean, right. you know what I'm saying? It, it's... It was all in good fun, but it wasn't a parody. You know what I'm saying? Like right. we put out some, we put out a little fun parody giveaway CD oh, that's where right. we like rapped over, shit. yeah, like <laughs> CSC Music Factory right, right, right. And, and Vanilla Ice. But the album, man, we put so much work into that, man. That, that's, yeah, that, that's streaming and stuff. Yeah, right? it's available on streaming. Oh, yeah, it's, it's called Every Hog Has Its Day. And uh, he's doing some great like stuff as far as drumming, his funk, his funk drumming, and it's like he, he's kind of. I love that the zone has kind of evolved into a uh, a new career as well. Oh, he always evolves. Like yeah. that's his thing. He never sticks with one sound or one. Right. He just can't sit still right. and just do the same thing over and over. So yeah, I mean, he's doing he's doing what he's passionate about, right. and that's what he and he's passionate about uh, the group drumming and oh, uh, that's right. He's got the, the group too. Yeah, yeah. do rights and yes. uh, he's loving that music. So. I mean, I salute that. I couldn't couldn't be more happy for him. Yeah. Because uh, even me, like, I've kind of lost my passion a little bit. And that's why I've been having, my output has been slim. I mean, I haven't put out an album since that 1990 now. I've been oh, wow. staying active on Army the Pharaohs or yeah, that's plenty these albums or 7L and SOT, whoever, you know what I'm saying, right. is, is featuring me. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of, like, got so in i kind of like got more of a passion for doing the business mm -hmm. of things so like i'm the business behind you know dirty version records and oh, all, are you? Okay. all the apathy all the stuff we oh, put out races? yeah we pressed the, i'm like I'm, i handle all the business which i learned from coming up at buds and learning how right, right. to press records and how dis distribution works and reserves and yeah all, all that stuff so yeah i just kind of like parlayed into that and i like that work I like yeah. that more than like creating, and so it's yeah, weird. I, I kind of like yeah, 
But uh, it was like Peanut Butter Wolf. Like you know, he hasn't made a like a record and probably like an album since mm-hmm. his album came out in 1999 or, or mm-hmm. whatever. But I mean, his his label is still thriving and stuff. You know, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're still in. You know involved in the in the in the whole picture though yeah definitely but it's time to 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 put something out so i'm gonna really buckle down we're gonna take a break from all the touring a little bit and you know probably like we won't hit this route like how we're out here on the west for like another two years we're gonna give it a break right so we could build up the anticipation and within that two-year span i would have my album come out yeah after the album come out and we're also working on a side project Speaking of keeping like the Army of the Pharaohs sound and keeping that flag waving, uh, we're doing a little side group. Uh, me, Apathy, Reef the Lost Cause, and Blackistan. So we're doing a little group called uh, King Tut Peace. Oh, tight. So it's going to have that vibe, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of to keep the torch going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on that note. So those projects are going to come out, and then we're going to tour again after that. Yeah, cool, cool. We might hit Europe or somewhere where we haven't been in a while. Where they just want to see us regardless. Yeah, but, you but, gotta, as long as you're hitting new spots and kind of, yeah. you know. That's but the so, way to stay. In so the yeah, line. I'm gonna focus on on, on getting a, another full length. That's gonna be my main thing. Yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah, maybe next year or the year after. Oh, is, yeah, I'm gonna have to get it out next year. I yeah. can't. I can't delay. It's can't wait too too yeah. long. I mean, I don't got much time in this. You know what I'm saying? Right. Left. Yeah. I can just feel it, so I gotta get it soon. You know what get I'm saying? Get it in, so, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, it, man. I appreciate your time and talking, and it's like cool to be able to finally like kind of see you again after all these years yeah too, you know and likewise like, yeah bro. man yeah. like we kind of came came up in the same school so like, yeah, there's not man. a lot of cats that are still around like that that can have a vo- a, p- a way to you know speak to the people too so definitely yeah. man good looking out man appreciate much it. respect yeah. to you yes right, thank cool. you peace man peace. yep yep there you have it man shout out to self-titled um let's see i want to end the show on one of those joints from the buck wild album this is the this is a record that i've been listening to a lot when i was uh, working on this episode um i could write a rhyme great sadatic sample in there classic this is like his memory lane style song but this is a this is a great record man great great lyrics on this um so i'm gonna end this i'm gonna play the first two verses on this too so hopefully you just go seek it out and check out that whole album um, for the intro song, uh, I failed to really um, note this in the intro. That's a brand new joint, too, called Paragraphs of Murder. It was on uh, kind of a tour-only CD they were selling on the um, self-titled Apathy Tour that they are uh, just uh, wrapped up. But it's streaming everywhere you can get streaming music. Uh, check it out wherever you can. As well as this podcast, The House List. Don't forget to subscribe. Do whatever you can, man. Help us get the word out, as always. Um, this is the 111th uh, episode of the show. My name is Peter Agostin, the host and producer. Shout out to Jerry, who engineered this, um, and the Pantheon podcast family for having me. Again, go to uh, megaphone.fm, the house list, and you can see where it's streaming everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. So it's out there for you to check out. Definitely add it. And, uh, and, you know, take a link and send it to your to your friend and let them know. Let them know what's up if they've never heard of it or they don't normally listen to podcasts um, and they want to hear about self-titled. This is like probably his first real long form one-on-one kind of conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully we covered uh, enough stuff. I mean, I'm sure we could have kept going uh, and we did when we turned the mics off. But um, uh, some things are meant to keep with the mics off. You know what I'm saying? Great time with him. Check his music out if you're not hip to him, too. And that's about it, man. Peace, y'all. Enjoy. And uh, 
uh, let's ride out on this joint. This is a great song. All right, y'all, peace. I got self-titled answers on how I started, how I represent Tampa. I know you're used to hearing me on some wild out shit, yelling at the top of my lungs how my nine gon' spit. But I got more styles of sick, and I've been doing this for Fahrenheit 813 since 93. I've been making beats and writing rap sheets, mischievous teenager with a creative outlet to release anger. Movie shake bass music, I was into that. Poison Clan, two live crew, that's what got me in the rap. Looping tracks with fast high hats and 808s, four track machine with the high speed cassette tape. Now keep in mind, I was a fan. But as MCs, we all are, and very few of us become stars. Went from blasting magic mic to grabbing a mic. Tried to sound like Spice One and not rap as the light. From E40 to Ice Cube, the West Coast had a lot to do with the type of beats I'd write to. But still, the Juice Crew was one of my faves. Never discriminated whether New York or LA. And around the mid 90s, I became fascinated with the Lord Finesse style of slick rhyming. The Red Mans, the Big L's, the DOS effects, Razz Cast and Chino XL type of records. So guess what? Self-titled emerge, bowling ball style, running through pins, author of murderous words. And I was set to rip every verse I put down. 17 years old in it, rapping, I'm pretty good now. And organized, I was kind of out of my mind. A weird guy, cut designs in my facial hair, fucked around with beard dye. It was me, Magic, and Dutch, and we had a lot of fun. Thought we were smart, named ourselves Equilibrium. That's right. And had a label called Atomic with Walkman and Cramtronics laying down cuts on it. I stayed poly in 24 7. And in 1997, started recording our first record. Then my phone rang, didn't know who it was from. Some guy that called himself Apathy the Alien Tongue. Heard I had production, and I could rhyme too. He was from the north, and knew some Jedi mind dudes. Plus he had a crew better than any squad. Couple months later, they was calling me a demigod. I started shopping my demo aggressively. Landed on the desk of Bud's Distribution NYC. Next thing you know, I got a single on wax and an offer for a job in New York. So my back was packed. Hey, this is Travis. And I'm Quentin. And we're the hosts of No Filler Podcast. Each week, we take an album and dive into the tracks between the singles. We believe that more often than not, it's the songs that weren't singles that are sometimes the best tracks on the album. So far, we've covered everything from Sade to Korn. In each episode, we'll dive into a little history of the artist and the album of choice. With snippets from interviews and concerts as well as music from the album itself. 
Check us out on the Pantheon Podcast Network or anywhere else you get your podcast from. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.